0: Join us in welcoming Colin Cox, an incredible inspiration. Colin has had a vast career that starts by dropping out of school, being a game tester, CEO for Demonware, and now an executive coach for CEOs. Here in this episode, we talk about his diverse work experience, overcoming barriers, his stunning story, investing, and more. It's time to listen and chill. tell tell us a little bit about yourselves and your firm you know to begin with
1: yeah sure you know um i'm from canada from vancouver uh grew Uh up here i grew up with a single mom and a brother uh you know i'm 42 child of the 80s and um growing up in vancouver was great um i was a pretty good student in school and i uh, uh I actually dropped out of high school. I'm sure we'll get to that story later, but uh sure. Yeah, I ended up working in technology and video games for the last 26 years and I left that career last May to be a consultant and executive coach. So in a right. nutshell, that's that's me.
0: Okay. Wonderful. So the the whole uh you know transition that's what we had uh you know discussed a bit, but the whole transition from being an employee to then, you know, owning your own company of sorts, how did that go about? Did you feel this all throughout, you said, 26 years when you worked, you know, in these different jobs? Was this always there at the back of your head or was that just something that, you know, came about?
1: Yeah, I think a part of it was always there, uh, even though I've worked in technology and video games for so long. My passion's mm-hmm. always been people, the people side of, uh, of working. Uh, I've always loved leading people, helping people grow. And my passion wasn't really ever creating video games or technology so much. And so, you know, I'd say halfway through that career, I started to think that what really fulfills me is helping other people. And so maybe I'd be suited for a a job where that's what I do. So the idea of being an executive coach has been there for over a decade Uh, and yeah.
0: So even when you said, when, you know, designing these games and everything, was, was the, the people part of it, was that interacting with other, uh, you know, employees sort of figuring out a plan? Or was it the end user uh, at the end of it with the product that you deliver?
1: Yeah, with, with the people making the games. Okay. So, yeah, <clears throat> always working in teams. Uh, I got in a leadership position quite early in my career. I started at right. Electronic Arts, EA Sports, when I was 15 years old. Uh, back in 1993, Wonderful. EA was about oh. 60 people at the time, I think. And you know, a couple of years into that, when I was uh, about 17 or 18, I okay. took a leadership position, leading a team with another another guy. So we ended up leading that team for you know, the next five years uh, of about 10 people.
0: And and that sort of, sort of laid the foundation for, you know, where you are right now. So if you, you had mentioned the earlier part about, you know, dropping out of school and we had discussed this offline. So if you want to sort of elaborate how, you know, someone who dropped out of school went ahead to have, you know, a career in the tech field and, you know, went on with whatever else. So please, please feel free to share that part.
1: Yeah, sure. So- One of the, Unique things about me, I suppose, is I'm a high school dropout with an MBA. And the way that happened, you know, I was, I I liked school actually. Uh, I was a great student, particularly through elementary and into high school. Um, But one of my passions was ice hockey, playing ice hockey. And I loved it. And when I was 15 years old, I tore my knee ligaments, my ACL and my MCL. I couldn't play hockey for a period of time there. And I was in grade 11 at the time. And what I remember about that was, you know, the only thing really we were learning about computers was keyboarding. And I found myself pretty frustrated. So um, I just stopped going. And uh, I got really fortunate. Uh, my mom worked for a nonprofit called Burnaby Family Life Organization here in uh, greater Vancouver. And they had government funded programs to help trouble teenagers battered women, and single moms. And my mom said, "Colin, you should go in this trouble team program. It's called WOW, the Work Orientation Workshop. And they'll teach okay. you how to do an interview, they'll teach you how to write a resume, and they'll help you find work placement where you'll go work somewhere for five weeks, you'll get work experience, and this government-funded program will pay you, and the company you're working for gets free labor. So it was a win-win-win. And I said, sure. So I went in that program and instantly I felt like, wow, this wasn't my peer group. You know, I was in there with 15 year old gang members, uh, drug dealers, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a good student who got depressed because I can't play hockey. Uh, fortunately, I put on the application form for that program uh, under hobbies, I put video games. And the coordinator, uh, her name was Linda, a wonderful woman, she came up to me and said, Colin, we, we had someone prior in this program go do their work experience at Electronic Arts as a tester. Would you want to go explore that? And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, of course I would. This, this is the intersection of my passions, technology, video games and sports. So I was really fortunate. And I went to EA, spent my five weeks there testing, I think, FIFA soccer for Sega CD was the first game I ever worked on there back in 1993. And um, I was supposed to leave that program. I left after the five weeks. I was supposed to go back, finish uh, grade 11. And instead, I went back to EA uh, and ended up staying there for the next seven years, uh, just about. So that was uh, life changing for me and just a wonderful program, wonderful coordinators that really cared. Uh, and I certainly had a lot of luck there as well.
0: So we do have Linda to thank for this, yeah. and also the fact that I think I think this also helps shape a lot of organizations accordingly. Uh, because I've spoken to a friend who works at Amazon, and they mentioned the same that they don't look just for the traditional, you know, that someone has to have this degree of sorts. They're looking more at you know what they what else they're bringing to the table. So that. That approach is, you know, it's, it's a good step forward, which, you know, hopefully, you know, there'll be more folks like you, you know, who were who gaining it through the work experience. Because as much as you can study this, whatever you do in the work field is completely different, yeah. you know, or at least builds up in a much faster rate.
1: So, yeah. And, you know, you know what else I'd say about that experience? When I when I went back to interview after I'd done the five weeks to rejoin, I had to interview and you know, yeah. I was known a little bit there, but I'd only spent five weeks. When I did the wow. interview to be a, a tester, uh, I bombed. You know, they had a they had a, a videotape of some bugs in the game and they asked you during the interview to, you know, see what you could pick out. And I completely wow. blanked and bombed and didn't get a single one. <laughs> and they still hired me, wow. they still took a punt on me. So um, you know, and then I had some wonderful feedback. In I had a reputation for being a, a really great uh, tester, so I don't know what that says about okay. interviews. You know, it wasn't uh, the total predictor of of uh, success.
0: That's that's good. Yeah, for a lot of people, that is the sort of you know only factor to get a job. So yeah, this is good, wonderful. And and you said you said this was the the first bug that they showed they showed you a, a clip of sorts was that also fifa or was that something else entirely? i think
1: nba was one of them it was a, it was a collection of a few different games I, I remember one of the bugs oh okay you know being the audio was missing uh, another bug was they had the team logos and names mismatched in hindsight they're obvious oh, okay. I, I think okay. i just didn't perform well under the pressure you know i was right. still 15 right. I mean, yeah, that... and uh, doing my first right. interview really um okay no, I've seen
0: people poem in, you know, at any age group. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think the pressure does get to you. You would have figured this out yeah. otherwise. So sweet. Okay. So uh, coming back to present day, what's a what's a typical working day like for you? Uh you could you could elaborate as much as you want, like, you know, from when you wake up to when you sleep, what else you do, whatever. Yeah, and you know what it's
1: different because of uh the coronavirus crisis. Um Right. right now, you know, my typical day is, uh, you know, I have three boys. They're seven, nine, and 12. My 11-year-old nephew has been quarantined with us for four weeks as well. He's okay. Family's great. Um, <clears throat> but it's busy in the house. So I typically will get up. I'll work out in the morning. I'll write for 90 minutes. And then, and then the family's up. So I'll go in, uh, maybe have breakfast, make a coffee for my wife. <clears throat> then I'll come out. I have this wonderful... Um, office in my backyard. So um, it's a sanctuary. So working from home right now is Mm -hmm. fairly easy for me compared to, you know, having to be in the house with all the children. So I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for the structure my wife is putting in to keep them busy. Then when I'm working, it's a mix, you know, as as a executive coach, I have clients. So right now we're doing 100% virtual. Before the crisis, I was, you know, I'd say it was 50-50 virtual. I have some clients in the U.S., so um, you know sometimes I'll travel to meet them for workshops with their teams. But on a one-to-one basis, it's phone or Zoom. Uh, but now every client has gone to 100% virtual. So today, for example, I spent a couple hours coaching two different people. Um, I sat through a webinar at lunch <coughs> on uh, you know how to be healthy during a crisis, how CEOs and executives can stay healthy. And spent, uh, you know, the rest of the day uh, working on my website, uh, thinking about what offerings I can put out of value that are uh, both free and fee. So basically, marketing, taking okay. advantage of the quiet time.
0: Or are there are they different types of uh, seminars you organize, or is that just one sort? of Yeah, show well, you know, that's one that?
1: I attended, um, and that was just for my own development. Okay. I'm obviously interested in what CEOs and executives can do to stay healthy, so. That was great. And there's such a flood of wonderful free resources right now for people to take advantage of. Just about everywhere you look, someone's offering something out there to be helpful during the crisis. Um, I ran one last week on Tuesday for one of my clients. Uh, they had 100 managers, um, over 100 managers across Canada, join and attend this webinar I ran on leading highly productive virtual teams. And this was a client who they're not used to virtual teams, but during the current crisis, they've been forced to do that. So uh, I did that for them on a complimentary basis um, to help them out with uh, the situation there. Okay,
0: and you did mention Zoom and you know the virtual conferencing. Mm-hmm. What other than the virtual conferencing, what are the other tools you say would use in your regular day-to-day? You also mentioned you designed the website. <clears throat> so if you could just brief us on the different apps, uh, systems of sorts you use. To yeah. Like, and, and
1: do you mean sort of from a small business perspective, like calling what are the, what are the tools so you use as a solo yes. consultant? Yeah. So yeah. I use, I use a CRM called agile CRM. It's very basic. I just nice. use that to store contacts. So who are, who are the buyers and recommenders uh, for the okay. products and services I offer. Then I use uh, Google, I use G Suite for email calendaring uh, documents, so Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google Slides to create presentations. If I'm going to create, you know, uh, let's say I create a complimentary PDF guide to give out to people. What I've been doing lately is creating it in Google Slides and then exporting as a PDF. I find that works really well. Um, I'm using uh, MailChimp. As a newsletter manager, I'm using Calendly uh, to have automatic scheduling. So, you know, a few weeks ago, I put out an offer of complimentary coaching uh, sessions for anybody who's struggling and needed a session. So I just had a link in Calendly where people can automatically put something in my calendar and that's all linked through G Suite, Google Calendar. So it's very automated. Uh, Zoom for video. I am a big fan of Zoom. Um, Okay, so I'm using that. I used, when my clients, when I ran the webinar for them, they were using Microsoft Teams. So they set it up, they recorded it. I uh, joined that and we did that through Teams. And, you know, for instant messaging, several of my clients use Slack. So I have, I think, five different um, instances of Slack where I can just instant message clients directly from them, them having invited me into their Slack channels. My website okay. is on Wix, uh, wix.com, W-I-X. Okay. So I found that was mm-hmm. a real easy way to just pick a template, set something up, um, yeah, so that's the, those are all the components and tools that I use to manage my online presence. So yeah, the
0: G Suite, yeah, I, I'm an advocate for that myself. You know, it's, it's a great uh, tool to have. They have their own feature in their Google Meet, which also could be used for video conferencing and yeah, a yeah. bunch of other things. Agile CRM, that is, yeah, that's one of the, you know, uh, better CRMs. We use Suite, personally. Uh, and sort of build up on that, but yeah, I think I think all of these CRMs, as compared to Salesforce, I think everyone you know does a pretty good job without charging that exorbitant yeah. fee. So I always advocate for the yeah. smaller guys. Uh, Slack, I've used Slack. Uh, there, there's another app. I started using Discord, which again you know is pretty good for communication and yeah. Telegram too. Uh, how, uh, how would you say that would compare with respect to Slack or have you just primarily used Slack? Uh,
1: yeah, for instant messaging, primarily Slack. I've heard of Discord. I know Discord okay. is really popular with online yeah. gamers who want to have a, a channel of communication <laughs> open. So I think that's uh, super yeah. interesting right now for people who aren't necessarily gamers but want an option. So yeah. but I don't have personal experience with uh, huh. Discord
0: and Wix. You say with with regard to uh, the other free sites that's out there, WordPress, for example. How would you say your experience has been with Wix, and would you would you recommend that? To yeah, I mean
1: has... the the two I know that are the most popular that I've heard about are WordPress and Wix, and I've I've tried right. with WordPress over the years in various iterations. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, I've always found it more distracting and I, I catch myself wanting to update it and manage it. Uh, Wix, uh-huh. the minute I switched to Wix, it was just, for me, it was just instantly easier. Yeah. We have the
0: drag and drop element, which I haven't seen in WordPress yeah. as much. So I understand the, 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 reasoning behind Wix, uh, and, and regarding hosting the site, uh, and you mentioned using MailChimp, do you have an email hosting platform separately, uh, and a server? just for your website
1: so uh what do i do for the hosting so my 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 own domain colincox.com is yep. just connected to g suite so that's what i'm using for for mail okay. for the website i okay. can't okay. actually remember where i who my host is for that sure there's yeah. a bunch of options yeah so,
0: you know, you're okay but i know there was hosting a host gator that i you know last worked on uh, there's name cheap. Yeah. so there's a bunch of them i just you know want to see if you happen to uh, use that regularly sweet okay so uh, when when you say you started out with the business like what 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 were your what was your checklist of sorts when when you began did you have a capital you know in mind did you have goals for the first 3 months 6 months if you could Yeah elaborate the, on the that.
1: very first thing i wanted to to figure out which was really important is what fulfills me so for me, I, I'm not a corporate ladder chaser. I don't wanna chase the bigger house, the bigger boat, the faster car, because I think that that's a, a never ending hamster wheel. And I think there are a lot of CEOs and executives who are chasing that and you know, end up really unfulfilled and really unhappy, even though they have a big boat because someone always has a bigger boat. So for me, I realize I'm fulfilled helping others. So that was tick box one, is is this career change into being a consultant and a coach going to give me fulfillment regardless of, of the money? And I thought, okay, yeah, that definitely ticks the box for fulfillment. Then you know, second, then I looked at, okay, what's the intersection of my skills? What am I really good at? Uh, what's the market need out there? What do people need? Okay. And the third is, what will people pay for? So what am I good at? What do people need? What will people pay for? And in the middle of that is the sweet spot. So.
0: Ikigai, if you will, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so, yeah, then I started to think, you know, who, you know, so what can I do? Um, You know, the first value proposition I came up with was, I help leaders drive profitable growth. Uh, and you know, I still say that in some circles, but I, what I've realized is some people aren't after growth. And so it's a little bit limiting for me to just focus on helping leaders drive profitable growth, um, but picking a value proposition, right? What can I do that will help people? And, And I thought about it in terms of results, not activities. So helping a leader drive profitable growth as a result. You know, I run workshops is not a value proposition, for example. So I would encourage anyone listening, think about the result. What's the value to the people that you're providing a service to, your ideal client? And that's what your value proposition is. It's not what you do.
0: So that was another thing I wanted to highlight on. Whenever you have a product in the market, as you mentioned, you know, something that you know will bring value to people. It, it does take a lot to convince a new, new new client to come on board, to educate them of sorts of the product you offer. How do you go about doing that in a market that is maybe not ready or that isn't aware of your product?
1: Yeah, my, my approach has been to focus on value. Like really, really focus on what value is in the eyes of the ideal client I have. Uh, because, I think people get bored to tears when you start talking about methodology with them. Um, You can almost see people's eyes glaze over when you say I can run a workshop and it's going to be six hours. And you know, it's, it's not that. So for me, it's all about really understanding what value is to them and asking questions. You know, I think that listening is a really underrated skill. I think that a lot of, a lot of salespeople with a, a bad reputation will just go in and try to sell you things without really understanding if it's worth anything to you or if it's of value to you. And so someone who doesn't listen, they just come in and try and sell, you know, I don't, I don't have time for that. And I think a lot of people don't either. So my approach is Mm -hmm. ask questions, listen to, you know, what are the outcomes uh, a potential client has? And once I really understand the outcomes they're going for, then I can say, OK, well, this sounds like this is what you you need. Uh, what would be the value of you achieving these objectives? And then through that kind of conversation, by understanding what the value is to them, what are their objectives, how would they measure success, I could then say, would you be OK with me sending you a proposal on how I can help you achieve these objectives?
0: So on a general day to day, because you, you also advise the CEOs of sorts, who who are you generally interacting with? Is it the company's HR? Is it directly to the CEOs? How, how does it go for you when you're approaching a new? Yeah, uh,
1: if I can, generally with the CEO or an executive, someone someone who has p responsibility, somebody who can say yes. Um, HR, you know, one of the issues with HR is oftentimes, uh, HR people are gatekeepers where they can say no, but they can't say yes, they have to go get approval. So for me if I have an opportunity to speak to the real buyer, the person who signs the checks, makes the decision and have the conversation with them about what's the business value, that's that's ideal.
0: So in in regards to that because you're primarily dealing with with the, you know, the actual buyer, have you faced, uh, you know, like change management barriers? That's what they uh, talk about where there would be people sort of resistant to change. But you know you you you're on board. You're working with the company, but in the company there might be people who are unwilling to change. Have you faced that? If you want to, yeah, I I don't
1: that? know if I've run into that too much. I'd say. I mean, there's there's often resistance. Okay. You know, one of the approaches I would I would take is if if I was unable to influence because you know somebody was getting in the way of the objectives and they're just being resistant to change without without you know if they understand why and how it affects them and what's in it for them and they still won't change they're just torturing or torpedoing the project then i might go back to the buyer and say you know here's some resistance here are all the things that i've done without trying to get you involved and they're being resistant and i need you to come in and help get this unstuck all
0: right uh again coming back to the business because we got too deep uh If you had to, say, break down uh, how much time you spend with uh, your current clients, maintaining them, uh, acquiring newer clients, and sort of self-improving, if you could break that down, how much percent would you say you would put into these three categories?
1: Yeah, there's how much I'm doing and how much I think is the right answer, but I'll I'll answer honestly with how much I'm doing. (laughs) I would say, if I just think through it, a typical day, I'm probably spending two to three hours with clients actually, you know, having a coaching okay. session or delivering work. And then, <laughs> you know, the, the time that I spend marketing, which is, you know, getting clear on my value proposition, putting things of, of value out there for free on online, on LinkedIn on my website, uh, working to attract clients. Um, Lately with the coronavirus crisis, I've been spending a significant amount of time doing that. Before that, I'd say it was probably an hour a day max, to be honest. And I and I think it needs to be much higher than that.
0: And and sort of on yourself, on self-improvement you know, and maybe different aspects. It doesn't have to be related to business. Do you take you know time? Yeah, out for that I'm, I'm a
1: big, for I'm a big fan of that. So again, I'll just answer honestly with right now what I've got going on. For, for self-improvement and how I've invested in myself, uh, I'm working with a coach right now for a 90-day period. Um, they're remote. They're in Rhode Island. I'm working with a second coach okay. who has just offered um, complimentary coaching for a short period of time. So I have a call every two weeks to help me. I just completed a book sprint. So getting support to write and complete a book proposal. To get a book commercially published, so I just spent ninety days okay. doing that. We wrapped up yesterday. I spent two days last weekend, uh, maybe it was two weekends ago, um, in a in an investment course. So full on learning about self directed investing. Okay. So that was all weekend. Um, and I read I read one chapter a day. Uh, sometimes it's on development. Okay. Um, sometimes it's just to to learn. So. Right now, I'm reading The Big Short, which is all about the 2008 crisis. So about halfway okay. through that.
0: I just watched that. I think a couple of weeks back, uh, when when I read about the uh, the you know when the stock market was crashing and it also would have possibly impacted the housing environment. So yeah. wonderful, that's a nice book. And other than that, do you read fiction too, or is it? Yeah, I like
1: I do both. History? I like to read fiction. Uh, lately, I've been reading. Okay. Uh, Andrew Turpin, he has a series of um, sort of war crimes investigation uh, novels uh, that I think are free on Kindle Unlimited, but uh, I've just really enjoyed those lately. So, you know, I'd say i go...
0: Wonderful.
1: Yeah, Andrew Turpin, T-U-R-P-I-N. And I I think I'm about 50-50 with, you know, business books, personal development versus fiction.
0: Yeah, I find that that sort of... Let's me sleep in peace when you know I'm I'm reading fiction, personally, as compared to just something else, because that's always making me, you know, my mind spin. So uh, you didn't mention about your book, if you know, if you're willing. Uh, What's your book about, and when might it potentially? Yeah, the book. The the working
1: title is called "Playing and Winning the Right Games," an incisive look at the silly games we play in business and life. And I titled it such because Mm -hmm. of my background working in the the video game industry. So, you know, the references I use won't all be video game related because they're not that accessible to a broad audience, but games like chess and Monopoly, uh, card games, et cetera. And, you know, the book is really about leading yourself and leading others. So, really practical advice on, you know, leading yourself first by the mindset you adopt, how to create a vision. How to set yourself up to execute in a distracted world, and then going on leading others. You know, how do you really collaborate well? Because people leading people is complex, to say the least. And so there's a lot there's mm. a lot to do to to work and yeah. lead others effectively.
0: Okay, I'll look forward yeah, to this you. book. It sounds interesting. Uh, just to go back to the, uh, the the marketing platforms that you use. You mentioned LinkedIn quite a lot. Are there other uh, platforms that you used to? To reach your free product to new clients yeah for me is it's it just, just
1: linkedin right now i've considered twitter or facebook okay. or others I, I think the important question to ask yourself is where do your ideal clients hang out and if they're on linkedin that's a great place for you to put things of value out in the public square of linkedin if they're not there it's probably not a great platform okay. for you so uh...
0: Was there when you started the business, did you happen to notice a lot of competition for you uh, in this field? yeah,
1: there there is a lot of competition, but the mindset I choose to take is abundance mentality versus scarcity mentality. Just the belief that there is enough mm-hmm. out there. and i I don't worry about competition. In fact, i right. I spend a lot of time with other consultants helping each other. You know, this this morning, I had an hour call with, three other consultants, one in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, one in Ottawa, Canada, and one in uh, Tampa, Florida. And the four of us just shared ideas on how we're coping with the crisis. You know, one of of the guys was sharing some success he had with Facebook ads for his ideal clients. So very, very collaborative. And I, I find that approach is just wonderful. I find that, me being generous and helping other consultants with what I've learned just come, comes back to me as well. And uh, I really don't worry at all about competition.
0: So I believe in the same ideology that your success doesn't depend on someone else failing, which I think a lot of people sometimes misinterpret that they think, oh, someone else was successful, now I can't do it. No, it doesn't work. There's a lot, you know, uh, successes out there to be had, you know, go ahead and seek for it. All right, we'll get to a little bit of, you know, uh, fun topics right now. So, uh, if you had to, uh, sort of, what's your favorite place to live in? You mentioned you you are from Vancouver. Have you been in other places? Yeah, I lived. When? I
1: have lived in Europe. So Oxford, England, and London okay. and Dublin. My wife Julie and I moved to Oxford in two thousand six, and we spent seven years in England and Ireland. And each of our three boys were born in a different city there: one in Oxford, one in London one in Dublin and we moved home. We we live now in North Vancouver and I, I feel really grateful for the opportunity to live here. It's it's green, it's beautiful, it's calm. Uh, it's just wonderful. I really enjoyed my time in Europe, um, but I think that being back in North Van was absolutely the right thing for our family.
0: So if you had to yeah. pick, you say Vancouver is your favorite, right? Okay. Now I always, I love to ask that to Vancouver residents, because yeah. I'm not originally from Vancouver. I lived in Montreal, Dubai, you know, India and the US before this. But I still like Vancouver's home for me, you know, there's mountains, there's beaches, there's everything over here. So yeah. It so a little you, bit even but, with you know, those other I'm locations, okay
1: Vancouver, is, is that your top pick?
0: Yeah, I love this place. Yeah. If I don't, I can't see yeah. into the future, but I'd love to stay
1: here. Yeah, it's you know, wonderful. As as I, I think can. you yeah. and I have that perspective True. of living, having lived in different places. And I don't know about you. It sounds like you're the same True. as me, where it, it gave you an extra appreciation for everything Vancouver has to offer.
0: It did. I think, I think finally, like when you do see the other places, you realize, okay, well, this has a mix of everything, you know, for some reason. So, uh, anyhow, that's, that, that was just, uh, you know, of the topic. So if you have, um, Say some, you know, what's the, coming back to business again, because I like to switch. uh, What's the longest day that you have worked? Has it been multiple days where you haven't slept? Yeah, Uh, back back in the the
1: 1990s, you know, um, I was young. I was a teenager, right? And so the longest day I worked, I remember it very vividly. It was Thanksgiving weekend, the year that the original PlayStation game console came out. And I went into the EA wow. building on Thursday morning of that Thanksgiving weekend and I left it Tuesday afternoon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know how many hours that was. And I wow. was not the only one that did that. But yeah. you know, we back then, when you shipped a video game, it went out on PlayStation on a CD. There's no patches, there's no way to update it after. You had to you had to make sure it was good to go. And if I remember right, right, on that Thursday morning, you know we had to ship that game to go to mastering to get printed uh, or burned on the CDs on the, the Tuesday. When it was that Thursday a few days before we we still didn't have memory uh, saving to memory cards working. So that original PlayStation you had to save your game to a, a separate memory card you put in the console and we because the PlayStation one was a new console right. we never had saving, Working before, and the game had to go and get finalized in four days. So it was a major crunch weekend. Myself and many others wow. did that same thing. I, I remember on the Sunday or the Monday, you know, our, our uh, team manager took a few of us to local grocery store and we loaded up and created a Thanksgiving dinner in the office for everybody. Um, but that was the longest shift I've ever worked. Wow. Did anyone yeah, get any yeah, sleep? Yeah, there were, we can... I, I had a nap on the reception couch once that was my sleep for the weekend (laughs) um you know uh, the manager did uh rented you know hired out one or two hotel rooms across the street and people had shifts to go have a shower have a nap in the hotel room across the street Um, i didn't take them up on that but uh it was certainly appreciated
0: that definitely sounds interesting so uh you know in regards to the career like you know as a whole what would you say was when you felt the lowest, like your worst ebb of sort? Oh wow, I've know, had low.
1: lows for sure. I think, I think the one where I felt lowest huh. really was probably in Demonware, <clears throat> which is the last company I, I worked at. I spent the last seven years okay. as the chief operating officer huh. for Demonware, huh. and, you know, I would say I was a huh. a glass half full Canadian, typically very optimistic. And as part of that, I was a people pleaser, and always wanted to make people happy. And running Demonware with uh, with John, my partner there, who's the studio head, we both were kind of like that and wanted to make people happy. And when you're running a, a, a company with 200 people in it, there are times where you cannot make everybody happy. And so, you know, my lowest points during there were times when you know, I was being indecisive and not giving people the leadership and direction they needed because I was holding back because I didn't want to make half of the group unhappy. So, you know, there's some low points in there. Uh, I think, you know, I also think back when I left EA after seven years, I left right in the middle of the dot-com bubble. So, seven years dream job at EA I left and went to a startup and after a few months, they couldn't pay us and shut down. And I was laid off for the first time in my career. Okay. And you know, I went back and I, I tried to go back yeah. to EA and couldn't do that. And I tried to get other tech jobs and couldn't do that. So you know, I ended up taking a year off okay. basically and just focusing on myself. I focused on okay. exercising, on development and reading, on building better relationships. And I, I remember during that time, I, I felt, I felt so good. I felt that if anybody has an opportunity mm-hmm. to not work for a period of time and just have that time for yourself, it was wonderful. And, you know, what ended up happening after that year was nearly up, I was, really needed some money at that point. And a friend of mine ran a carpet cleaning business. Wow. And um, I talked with him and he said, well, you know, do you want a job cleaning carpets? And I really didn't, but I said, "Yeah, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do the best job I can doing it." So I was I was a carpet cleaner in early 2002, and you know, ten years later, in 2012, I took the job as COO of Demonware. So carpet cleaning to COO in ten years um, was a pretty cool story. All
0: right, well, is that is that line mentioned in your book? Because that's that's yeah, I don't I don't have that story, story in the right right?
1: book proposal. Uh, I might, I might add that in,
0: maybe somewhere down the line. Wonderful. Okay. So, thank you again for sharing that. So, of so the yin to the yang. What was your best experience, you know, so far? Like one day that you crystal clear remember, like the day that sort of, you know, you were like, this is why I started the business. This is why I am who I am. Yeah. What yeah.
1: I, What I find, you know, fulfills me is when when I can have an impact. And as as a as an executive coach. You don't and shouldn't uh, always see the change in a coaching session. So sometimes what will happen is a client will have a really good transformational moment separately, and so those are the those are the times that I really feel fulfilled is when a client comes back and says, "Hey, you know, we did this thing we talked about, and it's had this amazing transformational impact, and thank you so much." Um, that's what's great. I, I got a testimonial from a client earlier today um, who uh, I did a workshop for their 50 person department on productivity and they wrote back that, you know, I've implemented the things and it's made such a massive difference. I have such a lower amount of anxiety now than I had before. Thank you so much. So hearing those kinds of things are really what fulfills yeah. me and reminds me of why I'm doing what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, testimonials do help uh with that especially if it's so heartfelt i'm glad i'm glad wonderful okay so uh say you know what other tips would you give to someone sort of starting a new uh if you will in canada since we're talking about starting a business in bc yeah when starting a business the mindset because you worked as an employee to then being a ceo of a company to then managing your own company so how that changed you know just whatever you want to, yeah uh, i think you would like to share one tip this.
1: uh so a few things come to mind one is be confident be confident in yourself because right people can sense when you're not and it, it's almost like sharks can smell hmm. one part of blood in a million parts of water other people can smell your lack of confidence and so hmm. if you're if you're starting something out hmm. um you know, I think you'll do a, you'll do yourself a service to come across as confident, but not cocky, right? That you believe in yourself, but that you're not so arrogant that you're Mm going to tell everybody you're the best thing, right? So being confident, and I I know that's, it can sound trite. It's easy to say that, but how do you actually do it? Um, Part of what I do with it is I actually write down a set of swing thoughts. So kind of like golf, um, a lot of garf- golfers yeah. will go through a set of swing thoughts before hitting a ball, you know, do this with your knees and straighten your back and whatever it is. So for me, what I don't do as much, but I used to do early on before meeting a prospect, I would just read a few comments I wrote to myself and it, it would be things like relax and be yourself and smile. Your self-worth is not determined by whether this person rejects yeah. you or not. So just go in, focus on value, don't focus on selling, focus on really trying to help this person with what they need and offer them value. And if they reject you, don't worry about it. So reconnecting to that kind of mindset right before going into a prospect meeting certainly helped me out a lot, especially early on when I was struggling with confidence.
0: That that does seem like that something that will really help when you sort of make notes to yourself rather than... Uh, do you do you happen to have a favorite quote or something that you quote to yourself or is it yeah those were those were things, things that, that I wrote for, for, for
1: myself um I do keep a collection of quotes so uh-huh. I've kept this for probably 20 years just uh okay. you know what are the things that I've found inspiring that other people have said and I just keep them in a list called inspiration and I'll, I'll go back and review that every once in a while I so that's that. one tip another tip I would say is okay. is about focus cool. you know if you're starting out a business uh, being able to focus on what your value proposition is, who your ideal client is, and, and match that together. If you try to be everything to everybody, it, it's harder to stand out and it's harder to express what your value is. Um, you know, a mistake, uh, a mistake I've seen some people make is that you don't. You're not focusing on who your ideal clients are, and so you just talk to anybody about it. And if you don't realize that that person's not the person who's going to get value from what you offer, then you're just wasting your time and theirs. So, um, being really clear on your value and who your ideal buyers are, the, those are very important.
0: So, the the confidence, being clear on the value, and you know, yeah. again, being clear on your audience type. Wonderful. Okay so what's what's a favorite hobby of yours um yeah i've got a few one of
1: them lately has been uh, off-roading so i have two vehicles i have a i have a tesla uh which i've had for a couple years and i absolutely love it i also have a jeep and the jeep has 35 inch tires and a lift and so with my boys and i uh, one of my closest friends and his boys he has a jeep so the two of us will Take our jeeps out in the mountains and camp. We'll off-road. We'll drive on dry creek beds and do obstacles that take us, you know, an hour to get through ten meters. Um, so that's been a big thing we've really enjoyed doing.
0: Okay. When you started off with saying I have a Tesla, and you said off-roading before that, I was I didn't know what to say. <laughs> the Tesla is <does> not good <laughs> off-roading. The Tesla's for
1: uh, city <laughs> driving. The jeeps for off-roading.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It's just you know I didn't know where you were going with it. <laughs> okay, sweet so uh coffee do you have a favorite coffee joint over here did you buy coffee from the outside i'm a i'm a a
1: half-hearted coffee snob so i'm not really hardcore i I found that working in tech okay there's and especially my time in ireland you know i've developed a taste for whiskey and coffee and craft Mm -hmm. beer and so i don't i don't drink beer very much at all these days Uh, i do have a good whiskey collection uh, coffee, I, I got right. myself uh, a Breville dual boiler machine with a separate grinder. And uh, okay. my wife and I, we go to Moja Coffee mm-hmm. in North Vancouver to get our beans. And we, we've tried lots of different ones. And okay. for us, nothing nothing is as good as Moja for us. So we're, we're hooked on Moja Coffee.
0: Okay. All right. I need to go try that place out. Uh, my girlfriend's a big fan of uh, coffee and not so much. But you also mentioned about your whiskey. What's Yellow your Spot. Favorite, uh, in the whole collection, what's your favorite whiskey? Yellow
1: Spot. It's an Irish whiskey. And sorry, it, Yellow Spot. You can, the same distillery, Mitchell and Sons, sorry. which is, I think, owned by Jameson now. Uh, I think you can get the Green Spot whiskey from the same okay. distillery in Vancouver fairly easily. Yellow Spot, I think, is hard. You might need to go to a specialty store if it's even okay. available at all in Vancouver. But Yellow Spot overwhelmingly is my favorite. All
0: right. Sweet. Check that out. And now with the, with starting the business, how's your personal and work life balance been? Like how many hours do you? Yeah. So my, my goal is seven
1: and a half hours of sleep per night, at least five days a week. And I use, I use a sleep tracker on my Apple watch called auto sleep. Love it. So I can track, I'm getting usually around seven hours. For some reason I I tend to wake up before seven and a half anyways. I think it's just my natural clock um i lately since the crisis started i've been working quite a lot i've been working some days 10 12 hours um part of that is my clients are in various states of needing mm-hmm. support through this the other part is just being inspired to create and uh, write and do more marketing and and uh work on the book proposal okay. so i found that really inspiring i'd say before that you know i i would take the pressure off myself to to work too much, you know, I talk a lot about productivity, Uh, I've spoken to dozens of CEO groups about maximizing individual productivity. But that doesn't mean working 8, 10, 12, 14 plus hour days all the time, you really have to have the balance. Uh, What I talk about is more for the hours you're choosing to work, how do you maximize and get the most out of those so that you don't have to work 10, 12, 14 hour days so much. So you know, I'll have some days where I'll do four hours of work or less, and feel really, really good about it. So, in, in terms of
0: uh, because you mentioned productivity so much, would you be an advocate for the you know the four uh, week, uh, four, four day work week? The four day versus the five day, day work five week? Day.
1: You know, I, I yes, I think it's really it depends on who you are, what you're what you're doing. You know, I I know a lot of the times when I was working a right. five day uh, a week job. I really felt like you know, a affording a four day yes. week sounds better. Right. You know, having three days for yourself versus four days at the office sounds like a, a better split. Um, but I think it's really for each individual.
0: Right. It's and again, it's at the end result. Like if you're able to deliver yeah. all of that in four days, you don't need to work five days. When that's sort of a norm that's been in place for eons, I think now. But, okay, sweet. Uh, and you also mentioned uh, investing and writing your book. So is there uh, a, a strategy in place to like build from, you know, having money? Yeah, you know, one wealth. of the things that for one of example, the books I
1: read that was really, really, really influential for me a while ago was Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just that's the book that made yeah, financial that literacy easy yeah. to grasp for me. And a few of the core principles in there, I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking 20 years ago now, since I read it, one of the core principles there was there, uh, I think he calls it a flow quadrant. You know, on one side, you have employee self-employed on the other side, you have business owner investor.
0: Yeah.
1: And really, yeah. you know, to get out of the proverbial rat race, right. the formula there is to have more passive income than you have expenses so that's long been you know a a view i've had of of wealth and how to build it up
0: so you you are actively sort of working towards that so other than the business say you know for for someone not necessarily starting out but someone in their career what would you recommend you know passively what should they sort of start doing or how would you say i I think it's really
1: individual for different people i think that if you If you're someone that really doesn't have a good grasp of financial literacy, like you just feel like I don't even know the language, even though it's an old book, Rich Dad Poor Dad is the book I would go to to make it accessible. Uh, You know, and then from there, I think that setting financial goals is often really overlooked. Um, But actually actually thinking about what your goals are, that gives context and meaning to what do you wanna do with your money to, to grow wealth? And then, you know, depending on what your goals are, that's when you can decide of all the different ways to grow money, you know, what would I do, whether that's real estate or just buying um, equities, which could be index funds, where you just track the markets passively, or if you try and pick your own stocks, which is really difficult, Um, you know, and there's all kinds of other things there. Um, But I think it really depends on your goals what you're personally interested in
0: yeah no i i completely agree with you there's there's multiple markets out there you know to diversify the stock market as you mentioned real estate is is one good example starting your own business maybe also having a job you know there are multiple things that people can do and i think one of the reasons why so many don't yeah. is because financial literacy isn't taught as it's not as highly yeah. regarded as everything else you know in schools for example so yeah as you mentioned rich dad poor dad i think i read that two weeks back Grant cardone is another you know uh, guy i really like just talking about uh literacy uh investing wise uh is there uh you know do you invest in options or is it primarily stocks
1: and yeah uh, all of the above and, events, and before example, i answer that more i just say you know some one of the thoughts it might have been from rich dad poor dad it might not have been but one of the things i learned back then was that your greatest uh, asset is your ability to earn income. And that that mindset has helped me a lot because that's driven, yeah. I think that's driven my desire to keep improving myself, right? My best asset is my ability to earn income. So what can I do to make myself a better leader, better at work, more valuable to others? I, I think that's been really foundational for me. Um, So yeah, you know, for for me, I play with all the above. Um, I, I I buy individual, equities that are are companies that I feel good about and I feel good about the fundamentals you know you can call that value investing the warren buffett style of investing you know um have a few companies that you really understand and care deeply about and invest in them for the long term um you know the, the 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 benefit I see of dividend producing equities is that that helps with your cash flow so if you're following the rich dad poor dad passive income higher than my expenses and i'm out of the proverbial rat race while dividend producing stocks are good passive income on a regular basis options i've played with options as well i find for canadians one of the problems with options the way i've traded options is selling them so selling what's called a put which is basically like you can think about it like selling insurance Um, you know if if the price of this stock that you own right. drops this much within this time frame, I'm obligated to buy it from you. And that's, mm-hmm. that's selling a put. Um, the Canadian right. government does not allow that type of okay. trading to happen in registered accounts like TFSAs and RRSPs. So you sort of have to choose between, do I want the tax benefits of TFSAs and mm-hmm. RRSPs versus being able to trade options in that, in that manner. So, So I do a little bit of that, but it's not as much as I'd like because of that reason.
0: Thank you so much for sharing all that. Is there anything else, like any other thing that you would like to tell? Yeah, you you know, I I think the overwhelmingly,
1: you know, most valuable thing I could say is is just to believe in yourself. If you're setting out to create a business and to Mm
0: -hmm.
1: create something of value to give out to people, really just believe in yourself. And, you know, expect setbacks. Uh, the current coronavirus crisis is a major setback for the planet. Mm. And the longer any of us spend wallowing about mm. you know how it's difficult for us um, and we sit and try and blame and use it as an excuse or any setback as an excuse, it's just it's just a waste of time. And so you know if you believe in yourself, keep going, you hit a setback. Learn from that setback and keep going. And, you know, my boys have done jujitsu for a few years uh, here in North Vancouver, and their jiu-jitsu instructors said this nice. to us, uh, in jiu-jitsu, you win or you learn. Mm-hmm. And I found that mindset hugely valuable to take in life, you're going to win, or if it doesn't go your way, you'll learn and you keep going. You
0: win or you learn. I like that. I like that as a tagline of yeah. sorts to have. How do you see like the more the quarantine is in effect how do you see that affecting people's everyday life once they get back to it do you think we'll we'll learn from this or uh, what i've also seen is a lot of people you know have a short-term memory span and we tend to forget about you know something so massive how do you see that impacting the you know yeah it's it's hard to predict uh, exactly what the the is going to be this
1: is unprecedented the 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 scale of this, for, you know, in our lifetimes, from a health right. perspective, number one, economic, number two. Uh, I think it is a learning opportunity, a hundred percent, and and it's it's everyone's choice. Am I going to learn from this and adapt okay. and move on, or am I not? And you know, I'm certainly choosing to treat it as a learning experience. Um, you know, p- much smarter people than me, like Ray Dalio, um, Stoics. Like Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, they all talk about uh, you know, things happen in cycles okay. and crises are going to happen. And so, you know, if you go through life with a mindset that, you know, let's okay. just hope crises never happen because they're terrible and we don't want to deal with them, I think you're gonna find you're gonna be really disappointed. Because if you just okay. look at recent history, right, dot-com okay. bubble, 9-11. 2008 downturn um and this that's in the last 20 years so you know taking a mindset that crises are still going to continue to happen and the better you can learn from them and be prepared for them you know the the better you can get through them and set yourself up for success on the other side
0: you just mentioned, Ray Dalio, there was this uh, economic machine video of his that I'd seen on YouTube, which really, you know, like sort of explains and cycles how the economy works in general. And for me, it was, you know, pretty eye-opening when I did see it. So thank you for, you know, mentioning him. So yeah. for listeners, it, you know, it's wonderful how the economic just, machine works. Just that would be a good video to watch. Thank you so much for your time, Colin. You have been a great, uh, you know, interviewee. Hey, everyone. We hope you had a great time listening to our recording. I know there were a few audio lags, but I hope overall you'll still had a great experience learning, laughing with us. If y'all have any questions, if you need to reach out to either of us, please, you know, feel free to send me, you know, shoot me an email and I'll take the conversation from there.